Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West, Salt Lake City, Utah, actually just north of Salt Lake City, Utah, and in kind of an emergency or Sunday night. We won't call it an emergency podcast because I don't think there's, it's not an emergency, but it is Sunday night. And we're here together, Brian Hunsaker, the chairman. How are we doing, brother? All right. You look good. It's like dark behind you and the the light looking sharp as a tack, I tell you. Spencer, frozen tunnel. I don't look as as angelic as Brian does. Brian looks more angelic than I do. Angelic's a good word. The 10 seated Aggies of Utah State. Spencer's on fire right now. So we've got. We've got something pretty important to talk about because it has been a, a a really crazy weekend. Started really Thursday into Friday and 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 this weekend uh, with some banks that have failed and pretty sizable banks. And Spencer, can you summarize what has happened with these banks and kind of what the risk is? And Brian, certainly jump in, but can you summarize that for us, Spencer? Yeah, and there's kind of two different situations that's taken place, let's say, in the last five days. Um, the first was a, a firm called Silvergate Capital, which was uh, uh, an institution that was kind of a bank for the crypto industry, a major financial institution for the crypto industry. And back when FTX went under, um, people have been thinking that Silvergate was going to go under just because of the contagion and the leverage that was involved in that and other currencies. And it eventually came to a head and uh, Silvergate did go under. Um, and so that was that was kind of in one category, uh, obviously a financial institution, but different, mainly leveraged with crypto and and tied to that industry. And with the downfall in that industry and the, the prices coming down, took took the firm down. Just now, there's another one, and, and really the one you're talking about is uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which mm-hmm. um, is something that happened so quickly um, that kind of came out of nowhere to a lot of people. And what happened was Silvergate is a, uh, is a bank that primarily focuses on lending to the VC and startup community, venture Sil- capital. Silicon Valley Bank, right? Not Silvergate, but Silicon Valley is... Yeah, and- Silicon Valley. If I said Silvergate, I apologize. Silicon Valley Bank is primarily working with venture capital, startups, um, and, and that community and um, have significant assets. And as those assets get deposited... They, over the years, um, and we're looking back, ended up putting a lot of money into treasuries and long-dated treasuries. So not to toot our horn that we should get a pat on the back for this, but they did the opposite of what we did. We went on the short, ultra short-term um, treasuries or um, bonds. They went longer duration, locked in that capital for a long time at very low rates. You know, what's funny about that, Spencer, is I I told my wife today um, that probably a hundred times on this podcast, we have talked about a bond bubble on the long end of the curve. Avoid it because it's going to collapse. It was down more. Long dated treasuries were down more than the stock market last year. And so not to toot our own horn, but it's just sound risk management, right? On our end, 
with clients, but this bank failed to do so. So keep keep going. Okay. So they had this bond portfolio that they were underwater on and they ended up having to take a loss on. At the same time as they they came out and announced this. And so from a PR standpoint, it was a nightmare. So they announced that they were going to have to do this and that they were going to set up a credit facility to help kind of insure up the bank. Well, at that same point, when that became public, you had a number of venture capital firms calling their startup founders and companies and saying, you've got to get your money out of this bank. And so it was a 1930s bank run, but with technology, which allows people to just get on their app, open a bank account with another thing and move it over. And so you had everyone moving at the same time. And obviously the bank did not have the assets for everyone to take their money out at the same time. And so they froze everything. The FDIC came in and took over and and it came to a halt on Friday. The stock crashed um, and and no one kind of knew what was going to happen at that point. And and from, from a... Uh, market standpoint, market went down about 2%. There were more derivatives, so more options traded on Friday than any other day in history was how active that market was. So a lot of panic. Uh, and then we, we we went into the weekend. So as we go into the weekend, Spencer, there's there's some key players in this whole situation uh, because there's a lot of people out there that are saying things that aren't necessarily true. And so part of this podcast is to lay out exactly what happened and and enable everyone to ignore all the false narratives out there. So the key players, and I want you to tell me who these people are, um, Spencer, you have the depositors, you have the shareholders, you have the executives, you have the bondholders. Um, I mean, tell, tell me who who are those people? That's great. And that's exactly who the players are that you have to identify. So let's let's start with the executives, um, the people that are actually running the bank, the CEO, the CFO, the COO, those people. And typically in these situations, they're tied to the bank, not only by salary, but they also are being rewarded stock options or stock grants or those types of things. So they they will have ownership some portion of ownership in the bank, but they are the ones running it. So they're getting their salary from the bank. That shifts to shareholders. And those are the people that own the equity of the bank. Um, It's a publicly traded stock. So there's a number of institutions or individuals that own shares of Silicon Valley bank stock. Then you have the bondholders. So publicly traded companies also issue bonds and and so people are lending their money to Silicon Valley Bank and getting an interest rate of return, a coupon rate associated with it. And then there's the depositors. And those are the people anywhere from you, me, or Jim and Joe who, who go to the bank, open up a checking account, a savings account, and do that. Or, or a company that has their business account and they run their payroll through their bank accounts there. So those are the players 
And we'll talk about kind of what happens to each one of them in this situation. Or do you, is that where you yeah, want to Yeah, well, it, it's important to note, too, that these players are Silicon Valley Bank, but also Signature Bank, which also failed today in light of Silicon Valley. Katie told me today she had a family member with a bank account at Signature, and they're wondering, you know, okay, what do I do? That's a depository. Right. And so, Brian, the Fed came out today with the government, you know, as all this news and, you know, panic is going off and they came out with the resolution. Uh, let's talk about the resolution, if you would. What did the government do and the Fed do? And then how does it impact each of these key um, the key players within these, the, the situation? Would it, be, would it be okay if I talk a little bit about FDIC and what that, what's coming? Yeah, yeah sure. Great. And then kind of venture over to everybody else beyond FDIC insurance. So yeah. FDIC insurance is uh, it's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and they cover – I mean, all uh, a lot of banks uh, pay into this insurance. They they pay insurance premiums, and for those insurance premiums, their customers are covered. Their deposits are covered up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars per person per institution. So, for example, if you had a joint account, if you had a husband and wife or two people a joint account, uh, that would be two individuals, and they would be covered up to five hundred thousand dollars in deposit. Uh, depository uh, funds and anything beyond that would not be covered under FDIC insurance. Um, what happened today was uh, there were in fact there was a lot of a lot of uh, accounts at uh, at these banks that at Silicon Valley that were well above that five hundred thousand dollar threshold or the two hundred fifty thousand dollar threshold. Um, in fact, probably really, Spencer, you have the numbers, but I think majority of the assets there were not FDIC insured deposits. Yeah. It's and Silicon Valley. I'm not sure about Signature, but it's Silicon Valley, 5-7%. But what happened today is that basically the government stepped in and said that they would um, cover all depository assets, including those assets uh, in excess of FDIC insurance. So that's what happened today. I think what they're doing is trying to prevent uh, a systemic uh, run on other banks around the country. They're trying to, you know, assure investors that this is, you know, that this is not something that's going to continue happening. Brian, can I say one thing, Brett, really quickly yeah. on that? What I think it's important that our listeners or viewers understand is. The bank was not insolvent and it still has assets there. And when the FDIC comes in, they take control of the bank and they go through a process in which they start to bring those assets back to give depositors their money. There was a very high likelihood that depositors would get all their money back. But the federal government in the process, Brian, just accelerated that. I don't think they're doing anything that wouldn't have happened but they're just pushing it forward to try to calm the market and make sure there's not other bank runs. So, so the narrative has been, if you're watching the news or listening to certain political, you know, 
um, characters, I'll call them, that this is no different than 2008. We, we've just bailed out another bank, um, you know, um, to, to, to also, hey, take your money out of your bank because all banks are going to fail, right? Like I've heard everything today. So I just want to make this clear. Um, you have the depositors, Brian, who you just said, they're going to get all their money. Like that's not an issue. In fact, the federal government said tomorrow they'll have access to all their money. So, even, even depositors that were above the insurance levels. So $10 million account, depositor, they get their money. Okay? But then you have the shareholders that Spencer described, the bondholders, the executives. Tell me what happens to them. So Silicon Valley stock was down 60% on Friday, I believe, yeah. before they just halted trading. And uh, shareholders have essentially been wiped out. Um, shareholders, there's no uh, value to the stock. So shareholders are gone as far as the value to their stock. The executives that Spencer talked about that owned, that had jobs and uh, had salaries and also had stock options, um, their stock is now worthless. Um, uh, and then bondholders as well. The bondholders that loaned their money to Silicon Valley, those bonds have been wiped out into zero. So, so the people that were, that were helped are those that deposited money within the bank. Correct. And no one else really is being helped with this. Is that, is that fair to say? That's fair to say. Yeah. So how is that different than 2008 and what we're hearing in the news of another bell, bank bailout? Is that different than what happened in 2008? Or is it yeah. the same? I mean, there were banks that uh, did fail during the great financial crisis. There was a lot of banks, hundreds of banks that failed and, and investors were wiped out. But there's what we call too big to fail. The big banks that uh, weren't allowed to fail, and some would argue, Jamie Dimon and others, some executives would argue that they never would have failed if, if allowed to, you know, the process to kind of just run its course. Yeah. But uh, again, there's, there's always that risk of panic where we have a bank run and uh that that panic uh permeates the whole system and that's that's always a, that's a risk out there and the government didn't want to that to happen and i think that's what caused their actions to today uh that was they they wanted to stop the you know the panic or not allow yeah. that panic to be out of hand to ensure the financial <laughs> industry in this country that it's mm -hmm. on solid footing um Another difference, too, is regarding taxpayers and them funding, uh, helping fund some of the bailouts in 2008-9. Um, we've been told, right, that no taxpayer money will go to helping these depositors. So a difference there as well. Yeah. But One interesting thing about that. Is yes, uh, taxpayer funds did did go towards bailing out the banks during the Great Financial Crisis, 
But ultimately, all that money was paid back and then some. They actually, the government ended up making quite a bit of money. Yeah. Because they had those investments. Uh, yeah. As they, they got, I think, 5% of the stock outstanding. I don't, I don't remember the exact, the exact number, but they ended up getting a, a certain percentage of stock in these companies at bargain prices and they ended up making money. And so that, that ended up uh, being a profitable investment for the government and taxpayers. So in 2008, I'm not advocating that, but that's what happened. 2008, 2009, everybody at those banks that failed got their money back. Uh, it took a time. It took time, but everybody got their money back as far as depositors go. Um, now it's the same thing, right? Depositors getting their money. All the executives and all you know, all those shareholders, they're they're screwed. They get you know which arguably they should be. They didn't manage things correctly. Brett, I'd say there is a small, small chance that the government allows the private industry and another bank to come in and buy SVP still at some level. I think it's, I think it's, or buy their assets. We're already hearing of, of private equity firms that are going in and trying to buy some of the deposits and different things like that. So there is there is a small chance that that some other bank comes and buys SVP or uh, Silicon Valley Bank for pennies on the dollar, you for know, signature. type yeah. of thing, and gets a deal. And yep. that's someone who, if they're willing to take that risk, could end up getting a reward or losing all of it. But I'm not saying that's likely or will happen. But there is a small chance that something like that does happen. And in so, the cap- in the capital structure, it's the bondholders that stand first in line. Yeah. So before any equity stockholders, and those are the risk assets. I mean, the bondholders are they stand ahead of uh, equity as far as risk assets, but um, those bondholders would be made uh, whole before any equity investors get any money. Yep. So I put myself in the shoe of a, in the shoes of a depositor that that trusted Signature Bank, for example, and. Gosh, I'm glad. I'm glad the government's doing what they're doing, right? For these depositors. Um, but the bigger question for our clients at home is, you know, with Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade, which is all Charles Schwab now. Um, what protections do our clients have? And our money's there too, right? So we're in the same boat. But what protections do they have? Uh, at Charles Schwab, Brian, what 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 protections do people have? Yeah, so we we've all heard of FDIC. We talked about that earlier, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Um, Congress created an entity called CIPIC, um, but it's a private corporation, Securities Investor Protection Corporation, and uh, it's insurance and uh, securities firms that uh, buy this insurance. Uh, protect investors. It's up to five hundred thousand dollars per uh, legal entity. So a legal entity could be an individual brokerage account in, say, my name, and then I could have an IRA in my name, and maybe a joint account with my wife. And each of those entities would be a separate legal entity. So in, in that case, it could be up to uh, one point five million. And SIPIC insurance. Now that insurance doesn't cover market losses, market volatility, that sort of stuff. It covers missing 
securities, securities go missing. There, there could be fraud, yeah. you know, those, those sort of things. Or if the, if the company goes, say Charles Schwab goes out of business and assets disappear somehow, that's what this insurance would cover. Um, but it's important to understand that your assets at Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade are in, they're, they're separate. They're in separate entities. They're not mingled with the assets of the corporation, meaning Charles Schwab Corporation. And uh, it, it's very, very unlikely that um, if Charles Schwab went out of business, that your your assets would disappear as well. Your what would happen is those assets would then be transferred to another broker dealer. And I'm just throwing a name out there. Say, for example, Fidelity. It'd be those assets would just transfer over to Fidelity. You would you you would remain whole. And that's because those assets are not commingled; they are separate. That's important to understand. So I do not lose a lot of sleep worrying about my assets held at Charles Schwab. Um, and I don't think our investors should as well. Now, if you're an investor in Charles Schwab, meaning you own the equity stock of Charles Schwab, and you're worried about you know, maybe some of their assets on their balance sheet or some of their business practices, uh, then you should be concerned as an investor in Charles Schwab. But as, as Charles Schwab is a, a custodian, I'm not losing a lot of sleep. So Brian, the, can I ask one question really quick, just yeah, to sure. Brian? Brian, just to be clear, because I think to make it really simple, if I own 100 shares of Apple in my account at Charles Schwab and Charles Schwab goes under, there's still a record that I personally own those 100 shares and those 100 shares would, I, it would just go to another institution, right? And that's right. just to make it like so clear. Our clients own their own shares of these companies, and it's not mingled and lent out to anyone else or anything like that. So it, because we have the record of that and everything, it, it would just move over to another entity and you wouldn't lose that. Right. Your assets are not mingled with other customers or with the corporate, meaning Charles Schwab Corporation. Yeah. Your assets are separate. They are not commingled. Exactly. Just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, Which is why we manage how we manage. Thanks, thanks for that follow-up question, Spencer. That's important. So, um, should Spencer should our clients lose sleep over what has happened this weekend and all of the crazy news from the far right and the far left and everybody, you know, yelling out fire? Or the Schwab issue, if there was ever an issue, uh, should clients be worried? I, I think it's always good to be aware, but I can say that I lost no sleep this weekend over any of it. I was reading a lot and I was fascinated by how this took place. But I had someone ask me today, um, if I have more than $250,000 in my bank account, would you move it and move it around? And I said, well, I'd probably invest some of it. It's a good time to invest some in the market. So I probably wouldn't have that much. But but ultimately, no, it, I, I don't have concerns about the deposits I have at a bank or the deposits in my account. Be aware of it, of what's going on. But I lost no sleep and I've tried to explain to people, 
you you don't need to be worried about this currently. If there ever was a worry, we would be the one calling you before you would hear about any of it. And so, no, I, I don't think anyone needs to be concerned given our clients, our situations, Schwab accounts, TD accounts, or any of that. Hey, perfect. And that, to me, is the most important question of them all, right? The last two that we that we discussed is what happens if a brokerage goes out of business and you know, do they lose their, their money? No, they don't. And should they be worried? No, um, you shouldn't. We all be, between all three of us, I, I couldn't even guess the number of hours that we've spent on this issue this weekend, researching and studying, not because we're afraid of, of what's happening, but mostly, and I'm going to speak for you, tell me if this is wrong. Mostly it's to be informed so that we're able to talk about, talk with clients and be informed what's going on and resolve any concerns you may have, um, squash any fear you may have. I mean, that's, that's been, that's why we're doing this podcast is because everybody is on our minds. Absolutely. I would also say, and this for people, my wife would not get this at all. But for me, it's fascinating. So I've been studying and reading it because I'm it's so interested in learning about it. And and the whole situation is fascinating. Very poor PR. How in the world do you have a bond portfolio that's so on the long end of the curve and all of that? And so it's it's also learning from other people's mistakes, you know, so that yeah. so we don't go through them. But I agree. We want to make sure our clients, all of you have the confidence to know that we know what we're doing and we're staying aware of everything that's going on. You're looking yeah. at you're looking at three nerdy guys that do this <laughs> <laughs> that do this in our spare time and not because we're getting paid to do it, but we all this is something we do even if we weren't getting paid to do this. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's Pro- probably we probably work 90 hours a week, but we don't even think we do (laughs) (laughs) because it's what we love. The interesting thing that we'll talk about in future podcasts that I don't want to spend time now is what's the ripple effect of this with the Fed, especially and interest rates and what do they do and, and other financial institutions and their, you know, their help and, and everything else. So we'll, we'll address that at another time. But we hope this this helps. And if there's any questions that we didn't answer that you would like us to answer, or if you're still nervous, reach out to us. We're happy to jump on the phone anytime and talk. So with that, my friends, on a nice Sunday evening, uh, we'll say goodbye. And until next time. Thanks, everyone. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.